So we keep on keeping on. Hey humans, I'm Norma Jean and welcome to Stay Wild, the podcast about how to keep your quirks in the wondrous world. This is episode number 29, and today we're talking to Emily Cuser, who's a yoga teacher, women's health educator, business owner, and founder of High Vibe Yoga School. And she also has a boutique in Bali called Kula. Lots of great stuff coming up for you. Got a toast poem. Today's episode is brought to you by me, Norma Jean, singer, songwriter, daily doodler, podcaster. Check all my stuff out at njloves.com. And if you're feeling like coming to Bali, come for Camp Clarity. Check out all the dates at Join Camp Clarity. That's J-O-I-N-C-A-M-P-C-L-A-R-I-T-Y.com. And here we go. All right, little humans, we're here today with Emily Cuser. Hi, Emily. Hi. Emily is a yoga teacher, women's health educator, business owner of Kula Boutique here in Bali, which I also like to call, she has a second location, I like to call Kula Tula, and High Vibe Yoga School founder, which teaches yoga trainings all around the world. So welcome to Stay Wild. Thank you. I'm really excited to be here. And uh, I want to talk a little bit about your journey because you've been in Bali a decade. Mm -hmm. You've been here 10 years. Um, And through that time, you have built an amazing business in terms of empowering people to connect with their bodies, um, both through yoga and through some other stuff, which we're going to talk about, a lot of work with women. Um, But in that time, Bali has also exploded um, in terms of becoming a yoga hub globally. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about what first brought you to Bali and what it was like when you got here and your journey of your own personal yoga and then how you share that. Yeah. So when I first came to Bali, it was definitely, um, <laughs> I can't even remember exactly the the way that I got here it just feels a little bit like divine intervention like I was just magnetized to this place and had to be here and I'm really glad that I made that choice because my life has changed so much having taken that risk to come out here and and just see life in a new way and really um learn a different culture and a different way of seeing spirituality Um, that's definitely been Bali for me. And the way that I got into yoga was as a late teen, I was going through so much chaos. My family was like one of those families that I thought for sure, um, I was born some alien to some strange situation. And, you know, as a late teen, I got in my car and moved to LA and lived in my car for a little while. And I found yoga slowly to, to deal with some of the chaos of that and kind of to make sense of life. And it really, really, um, the yoga made a real impact on me and stayed with me for, um, you know, until now. Um, and I had a huge unwinding and, um, a really profound journey through yoga and it's expanded into many, many other things. Yeah. Definitely. And you, you don't just teach yoga now, which we're going to talk about in a little bit, but coming into that, when you first came to Bali, were you already a yoga teacher? I was already a yoga teacher. Mm -hmm. Yep. So you'd done a training and you came to Bali and there wasn't a lot of large studios here. There weren't even a lot of studios. Right. And we're here in Ubud. So we're out looking at the beautiful jungle. If you hear any jungle sounds, it's because we're literally in the nature. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so <laughs> it's pretty exciting. But um, when you first got here, Ubud, where we are now, it wasn't this 
destination for yoga, for wellness, for spirituality. Um, but you came here and what did you find when you first got here? Um, well, when I first got here, I found the culture. I found a lot of Balinese people smiling. I found all the rituals that are taking place every day, the processions, the, the offerings of flowers and banana leaves and, and incense wavering in the air. Like That was really such a stimulating um, experience to walk into, you know, coming from the States and having only been to Europe and, and like South America, coming to Asia and walking into the spirituality of Bali was just like... I mean, I remember my jaw just dropping down on the ground and my heart being blasted open by it. Yeah, mm. absolutely. So this was, coming to Bali was your first time in Asia. Mm-hmm. Ah, yeah, okay. Yeah, it was my first time in Asia. It's so interesting. Someone just said this to me um, the other day. They're like, Norma Jean, you're the only person we know who really spent the majority of their adulthood abroad. Because um, I think I moved abroad when I was like 22, 23 maybe. And it's all been in Asia. So to come to Bali and have it be your first experience here on the continent, right, of spirituality and how things are so integrated, right? So your life isn't compartmentalized in the same way, right, like it is in the West. Mm -hmm. Spirituality is part of your daily practice, is part of how you relate to your family, is part of the food that you cook, is part of where you live, and it's all interconnected. Mm -hmm. So amazing, amazing, you know, when you first come here. And... How, when you first came here, were you, did you come to teach yoga or did you come because Bali just called you and then what, how did that come about? Um, I did come here wanting to get into yoga. I didn't really know anything about this place. Mm. I didn't know anyone and I didn't have much money either. So yeah. it was one of those situations. <laughs> we all arrived like, broke. Yeah, we all arrived broke. <laughs> I was just like, I'm going to take that flight and show up. I got rid of all my stuff. I came with my experience having been a writer for different yoga publications in the States mm -hmm. and being involved in a lot of kind of nonprofit yoga um, uh, organizations and, you know, with such a, um, a wholehearted interest but I, I just wanted to kind of put that aside and fly away. Right. And hey, guys, I knew, I'm in Bali. Yeah. yeah, and I knew Bali was this spiritual playground. And and I had heard, did I hear? I don't even know if I heard that there was too much yoga going on. I came, I joined a month-long training, actually, mm. um, when, I, when I first arrived. Mm -hmm. And that helped me get to know people. Um, and... Then I, I really started to teach immediately. I was volunteering yoga to the Balinese kids and their families. And mm. um, so, I, you know, it took a bit of time for me to actually get it going, the teaching thing. And yeah. I was, you know, I was going through that, oh, my gosh, arriving in a new place, meeting so many new people, falling in love with different guys. Yeah. Yeah, this is the other thing about, about Bali. Everyone here falls in love either with themselves, you know, a part of themselves mm -hmm. that they weren't able to love before, with the divine, right, and the and the beauty and all the little things here, or with someone, like a total mm -hmm. eat, pray, love. <laughs> totally pray, love. When you first come here and you're younger, everyone wants to eat, pray, love. You know, I've eat, pray, loved a few times. It's, it's a fun, it's a fun moment. It is. It's so much fun. It's also really heartbreaking. Yeah. I mean, it's both. It's like, you know, it's great until you realize you've traded in all hope of a relationship for a bunch of little hotel shampoos. Yeah. <laughs> and you're like, well, it's been fun. Because when you live somewhere where there's a lot of tourists, you know, it's, there's there's a transient nature of things that's mm -hmm. a little bit different. So you came here and then at some point you've started teaching for a little studio called the Yoga Barn. A little big studio. A little big yeah, one. Yeah. I, I taught at a few different places before I ended up fully teaching at the Yoga Barn. Mm -hmm. And I was on the sub list 
at the mm-hmm. yoga barn and the community um, yoga class. I used to come list. to your community yeah. yoga classes. And so that's kind of how it started whilst mm-hmm. I was still teaching, you know, little things here and there and really mm-hmm. trying to put some events together to, to get people excited about yoga. But like you said, back then it was, there was so much less going on and it hadn't really reached the Critical status mass. of like yoga, spirituality, Mecca. Yeah. It was more, I, I think, you know, it, I feel like back then it was still considered a little bit more of a artistic, music focused, artistic. She's painters, giving me the writers. look like I'm an artist. Yeah. <laughs> it's <laughs> kind true. Of vibe. When I first came, my community was mostly artists, and as the town has changed, it's definitely shifted. Um, and I used to go to your community classes because, mm-hmm. you know, back when we were all broke artists, I would go to the free class mm-hmm. at the yoga barn every week. That was the yoga <laughs> class I went to. And I remember there was a moment where, um, I think you hit, there was a, there's a little bar in town that there is a performer who used to go there every week and he'd call me up and he learned a couple of my songs that I wrote and you had gone to that bar. I think it's called laughing Buddha. You'd been with your partner when you guys were first dating mm-hmm. and you had heard me sing. So you called me up in the middle of this community class to sing the ohms at the beginning mm-hmm. of the class. And I was like, I like this girl. <laughs> it's good. You know, I think a lot of people feel like when you're in a yoga class that, you know, the teacher is the teacher and they're up on a pedestal and they're kind of on this like, you know, holier than thou status. But I think when you, um, find a teacher you like, you feel really welcomed by them Mm -hmm. and it's more of an inclusive thing. So I definitely remember those community classes back in the day. And then I remember you doing that. (laughs) (laughs) A friend of mine was in that class and she's like, I didn't know you could sing ohms for that long. They were really good. I was like, me neither. I didn't know I could do that. I just went with it. It's kind of what happens when you get up in front of a group of people and everybody is just giving their full attention. Sometimes we can do things we never thought were possible or never even tried. Yeah. Like, like oming, like <laughs> oming, exactly. So you were teaching at a few places and kind of just starting to gain momentum and you were on the sub list at Yoga Barn and then you started teaching there more, it sounds mm-hmm. like. And, and then- I was involved with Bali Spirit Festival in a really big way. So I was helping to organize and manage Bali Spirit Festival. So that was taking up a lot of, a lot of time and, and energy and heart. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. You're one of the first organizers, old school Bali mm-hmm. Spirit Festival. Um, yeah, those were the days. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Those were the days. Mm -hmm. Um, and so you were doing Bali Spirit Festival. I think I remember you saying you did programming, you helped program the workshops. Mm -hmm. Bali Spirit Festival is amazing for those of you who are coming to Bali and really want like a wild festival for yoga. It's amazing and fun and you get to try every kind of yoga. I mean, acro, yin, restorative, there's lots of different kinds of workshops. Um, so you went from helping organize the workshop to full circling, teaching the workshop or teaching the festival, Mm -hmm. which is really exciting. And you also did heaps of other stuff like with volunteers. And I know, um, the first few years the festival started, I think everyone was wearing quite a few hats. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. so you were doing that and then you taught yoga as well. And how did that transition happen for you to be a little bit more yoga focused? Um, you mean out of the festival mm-hmm. and well, the festival work stayed with, you know, I had, I was wearing quite, wearing quite a few hats quite for a, a while. Oh, and, yeah. you know, I decided at some point after having, you know, well, what really happened was I fell in love here with someone. Okay. I left Bali for a Hashtag few months. real talk. Yes. Okay. Someone <laughs> fell in love. I fell in love with somebody. Um, we were, we were in love for a few years here and then I left for a little bit to see if, 
um, if he could make it work back in his hometown. And that was just, you know, that obviously just did not work for me mostly. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. I flew, I flew back to Bali and when I got back and started teaching again and, um, got involved with the festival again after having been gone for just a little bit of time, I had a roaring sense of, okay, this is go time. Like enough of all of this scattering my attention and my energy in, uh, different areas. It's like, it's time for me to step into what I really want, which is to teach yoga full time and to create the space for people to really have a fresh and honest education in yoga. That's really uplifting. So I created my school um, right after that breakup okay. and right before I met my, my, my current, um, partner. Mm-hmm. So it was such a powerful time and it, it gave me the energy and the focus and the, just like so much power to create something that allowed me to fully sustain myself as a yoga teacher full, full, full time. Yeah. Yeah. Amazing. So you came back, you started high value yoga school and that was how many years ago? Cause you've had that school was, for a while. That was about eight years ago now. Wow. Yeah. And now you do trainings twice a year? Trainings two times a year. They're a month long. So 28 day trainings. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Full immersion. Full immersion. And then on top of those trainings, I've been running workshops on various taboo subjects, as you know, Mm -hmm. death, sex, and anything in between and, um, women's programs, but also I've been teaching public classes, um, for many years now. So yeah. that's been a full schedule. Absolutely. And that, I mean, it's interesting because a lot of the work that you do with women is really intimate and really personal. So you go from the space that you create where, you know, people come in with this trust and, um, it's so sensitive to like giant public classes. So it's been a really a flip flopper, mm-hmm. right? Like, cause some of your classes have how many people, like 60 people, 60, 70, 80. Yeah. That's, that's yoga barn. <laughs> yeah. 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 So it's, it's interesting because you've been, you've been teaching so many different kinds of groups for a while. So mm-hmm. what is that like in terms of feeling out? Cause a lot of people, right? Like for me as a performer, right. You know, when I play music, whether it's like a big venue or like a tiny little speakeasy kind of bar and I'm like jazz and it's, ooh. Mm-hmm. um, do you feel the energy or do you, how does it work? I mean, for me generally when I sing, right, sometimes I'll switch up the songs depending on the venue or whatever, but I'm still singing, right? And so for you, in terms of teaching, is there a connection that you feel more with more intimate groups that in larger groups, um, or does it have to do more with the subject matter? Well, I mean, there's a very special energy that can be cultivated with a huge group of people. Absolutely, right? so, yeah. Um, and then there's a different vibe that can be created with small groups. And I love both. And now I've had so much experience with mostly these huge groups of people and really creating some magic in a space. I mean, I feel like I'm very skilled in how to, to do that with really large groups of people. Mm. Um, and, um, but my heart really loves the intimacy of, you know, a group of people that really are there to, to really tune in and kind of get to know each other and move their bodies and think about something unusual. And, um, yeah, so I, had, I don't actually know how to answer that question aside from they all, they all have they their all different have flavor, a special flavor. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Cause you're one of the few people I know who's taught 
large, large, large classes um, outside of festivals on a regular basis, mm-hmm. w- along with very intimate work. So really interesting stuff. Um, and the yoga that you teach, I know that you started out teaching mostly Anusara yoga. Mm-hmm. And for those of you at home, um, from my limited understanding, please jump in as soon as I don't know what I'm talking about. <laughs> so Anusara yoga, I believe, is heart-based yoga, right? It's moving mostly from the heart chakra. Um, and it's more Hatha-based movement. Mm -hmm. Hatha yoga is a pretty um, elemental kind of physical yoga where, you know, like sun salutations, um, really when you think of of yoga, you think of Hatha yoga. Um, But Anusara was kind of born from that. Is Mm -hmm. that accurate? It's like the physical practice is like an alignment-based practice Mm -hmm. um, with a lot of heart opening. So you're right with that that feeling of heart expansion and, and, and all the classes have a theme. So something that's inspirational and kind of universal, Mm. something that everybody or the majority in the space may be uh, inspired by or have going on in their life. So that was a big part or is a big part of Anusara yoga. Mm, Mm -hmm. Fantastic. And for those of us at home who are new to yoga are like, Hey, what's up with that? Can you talk a little bit about aligned based yoga versus other kinds of yoga? Because for me, a lot of the teachers that I've worked with are alignment junkies, mm-hmm. right? Like, you know, and, and I've been to some, like, so a, a Yangar is really big on alignment as well. And I've been to some Yangar classes where they're like, pull back the crease of the front of your ankle in downward dog. They're like very specific movements. Um, so can you just talk a little bit to that and what that means? Sure. Well, um, I think all the different flavors of yoga have... There's benefits in all of them, whereas I think before I was a little more hardcore, stuck to my my way of doing things because it's what I knew best and it felt so great in my body um, until I allowed myself to explore these other forms of of yoga a little bit more uh, and different types of movement too. So the alignment-based practices are really great for focus actually and a big part of yoga and meditation but whether it's asana or meditation or pranayama a big part of it is focus like counting and focus and finding one place to focus and I feel like alignment-based yoga practices it does something very very particular and very special to the brain because you are having to focus on that flap of skin on the inner left heel bone and then on the outer edge of the right knee and the inner deltoid you know it's yeah so there's something about that that lights up the brain yeah because you're having to remember that that exists you're having to remember that that exists and kind of like yoga nidra for anybody out there who has experienced yoga nidra it's a similar thing you bring your presence to a certain part of your body and that does something with the brain that creates a deep sense of relaxation Mm. but that can go into overdrive and it can actually defeat the actual reason why we do alignment based practices and start to make someone rigid and overly Mm. obsessed and also forget that they're already perfect whole and complete and that you know can be this obsessive I need to get it perfect and only until then am I good enough yeah and so I see with women especially that that can be really detrimental to their their emotional and physical well-being yeah if they stay stuck in that for a long time yeah Um, and you know the complement to alignment is not alignment which is a flow which is having no structure to the movement which makes people really uncomfortable actually there's a really large number of people out there that are super uncomfortable to just 
flow without a lot of rules, mm. um, which is something that I've been exploring a lot in the past quite a few number of years. So, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I think you know when you have such a such an intense background, right, where you where you have spent so much time on you know the different parts of your body and and that your presence with them that sometimes, you know, to let that go is so freeing. Mm-hmm. Um, and for those of you listening at home, yoga nidra is a kind of meditation. So it's pretty much where you go through the body and you talk about relaxing each different part of your body. So it's like a body scan meditation. Um, and pranayama is yogic breathing, which is pretty fun. Um, yeah, absolutely. So now you've moved a little bit more into a flow. And I want to talk about um, from Anusara, you moved a little bit more into hatha and high vibe yoga, and then you started doing women's work. Mm-hmm. And I want you to tell me, tell all the listeners, the Stay Wild listeners, um, what was the inspiration for that, and what drove you to seek something outside of what a lot of other people believe is a complete spiritual practice? Mm-hmm. So the thing that happened was I just started to realize, oh my God. I can't find any education on my body as a woman in this field of yoga. It was really hard to find anything about my uterus, anything about the vaginal canal, anything about the breasts, anything about the ovaries. And I am a book queen. Like I have so many books. You're a book nerd in the best way. You're a total book nerd. And I I just, you know, and I take full ownership of the fact that like perhaps I was just blindsiding parts of the body or certain literature, but I don't know. It seemed to me like there was a huge area of, of this field of somatics too. So the felt sense of things, somatics and yoga that was really negating my body as a woman. And it was starting to make me really pissed off. I was Mm -hmm. really, really angry that I couldn't find information about these parts of my body that I wanted to be able to feel and understand and use in the yoga practice. And that sent me on a really, really deep dive research project into women's health, spirituality, and sexuality. Fantastic. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's so interesting because for a lot of us at home, um, if we go to a yoga studio, we practice yoga, the most you're ever going to hear about, well, the most I ever generally hear, you know, if I'm like in the U.S. or I'm I'm traveling and I drop into a yoga class, the most I'm ever going to hear specifically about my body is don't do inversions if you're on your period. Right. That is the one thing people say, and there's no, they don't say anything else. They don't talk about, um, like, all the parts we have that are, like... And sometimes, like, some asanas are hard when you have boobs. Like, chaturanga is a little bit different, <laughs> you know, for guys and cows. It's a thing. And I think... You know, a lot of the time we forget that yoga traditionally is from this patriarchal tradition and and it is beautiful and inclusive in many, many ways. Um, But also like on a human variation level, we have boobs. (laughs) (laughs) You know, when we're practicing yoga, like they're kind of there, you know? And so it's so interesting that you really felt that from that place as a woman to say, there's got to be more out here. What the what? And starting to realize, no, there's not a lot out there. (laughs) Yeah. There's really, I I think this field of research is just in the past maybe five years. I mean, of course it's been going on for, this research has been up for a long time, but getting more into the mainstream is just now beginning where there's scientific research on our bodies as women and how we operate 
spiritually, sexually, psychologically in comparison to men, which a lot of yoga, as you said, it's been through the male framework. Yeah, through the lens of the male human experience. Right, of those different categories, right? Spirituality and psychology and physiology too. And so, and also yoga in general was always a practice that was just for men. So women were actually not allowed to practice yoga. And that feels like a really important conversation to be having today. And the interesting thing is, is that the majority of yoga students today are female and the majority of yoga teachers today are female. So it's completely flipped, but that's not the tradition. And so because of that evolution, we need to pair that evolution with, okay, it's predominantly yoga. I mean, women that are practicing and teaching the yoga. So let's, let's get a real dialogue going and pair that with what actually supports our body. If we're going to be getting into these classes after a nine to five day of work, the only thing you do for yourself is a 60 to 90 minute yoga class, hoping it's going to calm you down and and actually it's not addressing anything of the female hormonal system or any of the female organs or giving even a moment to meditate on those areas. Like that's really what I want to pioneer to shift in the yoga world. Um, and there's some incredible women that are also pioneering this. Leading the way. There. Emily's doing yeah, an arm movement I am. with this. Woo, I like get a, so it's excited. It's like a Wonder Woman arm movement with this. Um, and I think it's so beautiful because as a woman, right? You know, there's so much in the world that's already like not for us. And the fact that yoga, like the yoga market in general in the West, Lululemon, you know, a lot of these, like a lot of these large companies that were built with the intention to bring presence and that moment of connection with yourself to people are missing this giant slice of the pie. Um, and it's inclusion, right? It's intersectionality of this thing that has been brought to the West. Um, so absolutely. And so what does that look like? What are some of the practices that you talk about? And what are some of the things that you delve into informationally and um, as a knowledge base that you work with people on? Uh, well, okay. So what I could say is... That was a multi-layered question. Yeah, that was a multi-layered <laughs> no, I, question. Yeah, sometimes I feel like I ask my questions <laughs> like I'm on Jeopardy. Darn <laughs> Okay. (laughs) What I can say to that is, so what feels like a a perfect thing to talk about right now is I started holding women's self-care trainings um, so that I could be in a more open field of education rather than just saying this is yoga where I've always, whenever I've been teaching yoga or yoga trainings, I've felt restricted a little bit in what I could talk about and you know, because people a, came for the yoga. They came for the yoga. Right. But I feel like we need to bring in some some new elements. So it's like I'm going to start teaching self care trainings where I can teach a, a yoga practice that is for the female body and also address all of this other stuff like like um, yoga inform, uh, trauma informed yoga, which you know that is really necessary today for a lot of women out there. Yeah. Um, and uh, different breath work than is offered in traditional yoga, which was created by men for men. You know, there's other kinds of breathing practices that are much more suitable for a woman's body and psyche. Um, that's been really exciting to start implementing into my programs and, and just a general 
reclamation of the energies of the womb space. There's so much talk out there about the womb space and it's really exciting because it is so important, especially in a spiritual practice or in a yoga practice for women to be able to reconnect to that part of themselves. And it's actually so, so silly simple. Mm -hmm. It's not like we need a whole bunch of techniques or anything. It just, it actually works just to have a bunch of women together and placing their hands on their low belly over the womb space. And then that, that remembrance, mm-hmm. um, uh, women tend to just drop deeper into themselves instead of trying to be someone else. It's like, wow, it's, it's quite magic. So yeah. the, the, all of these elements are part of the self-care training program. And, um, and I am on the... I'm on a journey of learning more and more and more about my own body. Mm. So I, you know, I try not to go and say things that are beyond me or mm. past me. I'm, I'm really trying to, at this point, teach in a balanced way, which to me means really remembering my feminine way of teaching, which means to honor that. I don't need to be smarter than nature. <laughs> like, right. I don't need to pretend anymore or prove that I am, you know smart enough to do anything I I have my experience and I'm going to share from that space and let go of this old way of of teaching and yeah. being with people because a lot of the time you know in not even just in yoga in any kind of traditional education right you're just parroting what you learned mm-hmm. um and it doesn't come from what you felt or what you experienced um and that's you know like so profound because for a lot of people right and a lot of yoga that's out there, it's really just, well, this is what I was taught, so do it like this. Um, and I think that it's really important to come at it from a place of, this is how I felt in my body, and this is was my experience, this is my experience. Um, and I think it's definitely much more of a holistic way of approaching. Um, so in women's self-care, and I want you to talk a little bit about somatic work. Mm-hmm. What does that mean? Obviously, the somatic body is the felt sense, um, but how do we tap into that? Into the felt sense. Into the felt sense. And what are some things that people can do at home that, like, how do you find that awareness for it? Or even if, like, you know, a normal person, we're all normal, who am I kidding? But, you know, someone sitting at home, one of our Stay Wild listeners, if if they're just like, hey, what is that? How do I experience that? Can you talk a little bit about what that means? Yeah, I get that question, um, a similar question quite a lot of, like, what is the felt sense? And oh my God, I, you know, I want to feel more, but I feel like I can't feel things. I'm dead inside. You know, we're just like, I feel like we all, women in particular, probably have this deep craving to feel more. And that feeling of being numbed out is really frustrating. Um, but being numbed out is also a feeling. And we forget that numbness or feeling nothing is also a sensation of feeling nothing. So you're already right. feeling when you're feeling nothing. Um, and the body is always feeling, it's just sometimes we just need to bring our attention there yeah. and things start to happen. So what I can say is the most simple, simple, simple and amazing thing to do, which is being used in different modalities all over the world in hospitals in different therapies is it's called a body scan. So you lay down maybe for five minutes, if that's all you've got or 10 minutes, making sure you have a pleasurably safe environment, which just means it's quiet, you're not going to be interrupted, you feel really comfy, the lights are dimmed. You lay down, and 
You can keep your eyes open or closed and just scan the body and start saying out loud what you feel in the body and where you feel it. For example, I have an itch on my right shin. My left arm is cool. I have a throbbing in the right side of my chest or a pulsation in my temples. Um, these are examples of body scan language. So saying out loud what you feel and where you feel it. And that is the felt sense. That's you and your cortex, your neocortex of your brain starting to understand the felt sense in the body. And it is incredibly healing and balancing for the nervous system um, to implement that into one's daily life or make it a regular practice as this body scan, which is not so different than something like yoga nidra. Yeah. But what I feel is it's much more self-empowering. And also, you know, for example, if you start falling asleep, the common question I get is, well, I'm falling asleep when I do that. Or anytime I lay down, I fall asleep. And I'm like, well, you probably need more sleep. You know, yeah. you probably need more that's sleep. Okay, and right. that's great. Yeah. And I think, you know, we've had sound healers on the show who say, you know, it's like anesthesia, right? Sometimes mm -hmm. that's what your body needs. Um, and it's so interesting, I think, because a lot of um, traditional, well, patriarchal traditions um, or just Western traditions, right? It's more about logic, right? Of black and white things and less of personal experience. Mm -hmm. um, and we're finding out now in the world in general, you know, with, um, with nature, with tribes, with, you know, underdeveloped parts of the globe that this personal experience is equally as valid, right? So um, we had someone come on the podcast a few episodes ago named Rex who talks about snakes and apparently there were they said that there were no king cobra snakes on the island because some biologists came in 1950 and said there weren't any whereas the Balinese were saying for hundreds of years yes obviously there's king cobras here right mm -hmm. so I think it's so interesting you know where that personal experience um isn't validated in the same way mm -hmm. um but and it doesn't have to be validated by anyone but ourselves, but we have to do that work. We do have to do that work. Nobody's going to do that for us. Or actually, people will. <laughs> what? <laughs> people will do that work for you, but that means that they have your power. Yeah. And that sucks. That's, and that's, <laughs> well, that's just not fun. Yeah. And I, I, you know, I think it's so interesting that we, as a society um, in the West, generally, we forget that we have power. We forget that we have agency over our bodies and our feelings and how we communicate. Um, and this is what I talk about heaps in my cartoons, right? Mm -hmm. Of, you know, this is what we don't have control over, but this is all the stuff we do have control over. How we respond, um, how we show up, what lessons we choose to learn. And I think a lot of the movement practices that you do kind of embody that a little bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. She disagree. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cool. Yeah, yeah. So in terms of the work that you do with women, what is some of the most um what are some of the most common things that people say to you about it? Because um I've worked with you and I think a lot of the work that you do is amazing, but it's hard to hone in on, right? It's kind of this nebulous of like, well, I'm gonna do these things and then I'm gonna feel better. Um and for a lot of people I think it's hard to pinpoint exactly um how breath works with our stress response um, and like a lot of caveman's kind of biology. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. 
Um, you're right. It's it's kind of challenging to hone in on the experience of what are it's we like, doing? This was what awesome. Is what just happened? What just happened? <laughs> but sometimes those are the best things, you know. It's what just happened, and um, I I feel like you know when a woman has had enough of not feeling good, or she's had enough of feeling confused with her sexuality, or she's felt crazy for a long time, and you know she feels like she's the only one not realizing that the majority of us feel crazy and right. you know that there's like, it's like no you look support. around in the room like who's the adult in the room oh no it's me yeah right <laughs> who's the woman in the room oh wait we're all women right yeah we're I all adults f- yeah, okay. I feel like there's this point women get to where it's like enough is enough and a readiness to open up to okay how do I really take care of myself or a deep interest in women's work and then, you know, women tend to show up more. I, I'm seeing it with my programs, women showing up more and more just totally, they're just like, oh my God, just, you know, what do I do with this right. situation that is my life or, you know, this problem in my relationship or this in, this ailment I've got in my body that has to do with the female sexual organs, you know, without... Yeah, and not being able to find any other place to go or any other education out there. And they're just open to the experience. And that's awesome because it's true. You can't really hone in on it. It's yeah. this big experience. We're yeah. experiential. Yeah. And I think as experiential beings, it's one of those things where I say that a lot on my podcast. It's one of those things. I got to mm-hmm. stop saying it. Guys, stay wild listeners. Let me know when I say it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think when we have a personal experience, right, whether it's through yoga, whether it's through breath work, whether it's through um, women's self-care practices, whatever it is, um, a lot of the time we feel like we want to explain it to other people. But we actually don't need to. We actually don't need to. When we're ready, we show up where we're ready to be. And that's the way it goes. I, I spent a long time trying to prove stuff to people and trying to like get people to want to come and you know all that stuff until I realized, oh, I don't, I don't actually have to do that. It's all right. People will show up when they're ready and maybe they're not ready for this or maybe this isn't the right thing for them or... You know, I mean, I, I don't even have to look at other people for that. I just think about how I've behaved and how I get myself to certain situations and different courses and different yeah. education. So. Sometimes you really want to do a, a course or a training and the timing is off. And then mm-hmm. when you, when it comes back around, it's absolutely perfect and aligned. Mm-hmm. So, But this program um, and, you know, what is women's health? It's fresh. It's new information that's coming out today and, like, for all of you men and women listening out there, it's it's such an exciting time to go out there and start reading what is being researched and and um, just to start to have an understanding of that because it can really change your life. It's really changed my life and my perception of who I am and how I am in relationship um, and what really is important for me in terms of taking care of myself, capital S and small mm. s. What is your self-care practice? Well, nowadays it is allowing myself to sleep in if I can and Mm. roll around in my sheets. That's good. (laughs) That's one of them. Do you like where you like burrito yourself? (laughs) I can burrito myself and just stretch in all directions um, um, on the bed because that feels really good. Uh, And it also brings in this principle of, of me as a woman taking up space. So there's been a long period of my life where I felt like I wasn't allowed to take up space and mm. just stretching in all directions 
with my physical body helps me to recognize I am allowed to take up all this space with my body. Yeah. And that's a great self-care practice. Another practice is connected breath work. So you, you can research that online. It's something I've been deeply, deeply passionate about. Um, practice often as a self-care practice and teach other women to have it as a self-care practice because you can have incredible spiritual breakthroughs and um, physical healings through And a lot of breath, breath work, work actually completes the stress cycle, right? And it completes the stress cycle that a woman or man might be experiencing. It's not just for women, it's for men too. Well, I mean, like if we don't complete that cycle in our bodies, that stress is trapped in our body. It's trapped. Right. And a yeah. lot of animals will die if it's trapped in the body. Yeah. So basically you're like a stressed eagle all the time. Yeah. <laughs> and I think a lot of us feel that way. Well, birds yeah. die if they get stressed, yeah. right? A lot of times in the birds... animal kingdom. Yeah. So like, just think about it. When you don't complete that stress cycle, you're like a bird, like, ah! <laughs> I'm making this a scary bird face. Um, it's intense. So, okay, so what else do you do? Um, I also make sure that I have time to be silly and playful mm-hmm. and fun because the spiritual the spiritual world can get very serious. Oh, I know. Can get very serious. Super I've gotten serious. very serious. And when I do get serious, I allow myself to be serious. It's part of it. Uh, that's a side of me that I like to play in, but I also it's important to be playful and silly and think of activities that make me feel silly and playful. So that's self-care practice. Um, and then still my, I have my yoga practice. It's just that it's changed a lot so that I'm honoring these parts of my body that I feel like have been ignored for a long, long, long time. And wow, just that shift of placing my hands on my low belly before or after I have an asana practice or just as a meditation alone, just hands on the low belly and feeling that. Um, I can't even tell you guys how how powerful that's been for me. It's like that does the trick. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> the womb space. And your yoga kind of progressed a little bit. So we talked a little bit about Anusara and heart-based yoga hatha. And we talked a little bit about where you are now in terms of integrating yoga into this beautiful, multifaceted women's self-care practice, which Mm -hmm. I'm just like all about. Um, But somewhere in the middle there, you started to teach yin yoga. And I Mm. want to hear a little bit about how the fascia and a lot of that connected into your journey of taking it from, you know, a more physical... And uh, like Hatha yoga is a little bit more athletic, let's be honest, practice into this felt sense practice. Mm -hmm. Well, yin yoga. So I was in, I was flying to Nepal frequently to go study Tibetan Buddhism for a while. And I wanted a way or a physical yoga practice that would help me guide people through the meditations that I was learning from the Tibetan Buddhist tradition. Um, And I, I thought, wow, yin would be phenomenal for that. And it was. So that's actually how I started to get interested in yin in the way of teaching. Mm. As a way of practicing, uh, yin has been an incredible way always to complement a more active yoga practice, yeah. but also for being able to feel mm. and to go past thresholds of, oh, I want to get up. I want to like go check right. my phone or I want to go and have a coffee date with someone. Right. And yeah, being in a, you know, if your feet together, knees apart and you're bent forward and you're hanging out there for five minutes and you're feeling your low back, you're feeling your hips, you're feeling your breath, you're feeling your breath go off and on. Um, but just staying in it, you know, of course, as long as your body is healthy and there's no spinal things going on that would prevent it. But 
um, staying there for five minutes and noticing these things come and go and noticing that the fascia, which is this web of tissue around the whole body that connects everything to everything, how it starts to move with the breath and it's quite fluid and also how you might just burst into tears just because you're in this seated forward bend for five minutes because our memories, just like we were talking about before with the eagle, can you do the sound effect? <laughs> so bad. <laughs> the tension in the eagle is the same tension that I would have in a yin pose. It's same, same. It's never been able to move out of my body. So by staying and breathing and staying through some threshold, that tension might just move out. And I might even feel a little bit of a quiver or a shake or something like that in that yin pose as it as it moves out. So these long-held yin poses and what it does to the tissues that hold the memories of shocking situations we've had in our life, and we've all had them, um, yin is fantastic for that. And it kind of blows people's minds because like, well, it looks like really boring yoga. Oh my God, I don't think I can, you know, sit in that pose for that long or whatever it is. But then the experience in the yin practice is very different than what it kind of looks like from the outside. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. And for those of you at home, sorry, we didn't really get into this in the beginning, but yin yoga is um, a slower yoga. It's not about, it's not as athletic. I mean, it's really about getting into the myofascial tissue, which surrounds your muscles um, and kind of holds everything together. And the fascia is where we store a lot of emotion and stress. So yin yoga is one of those things that is, it's a recovery practice for people who do a lot of active yoga. And also it's, it helps uh, long-term in terms of releasing stress kept in the body. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And for the way our culture is moving and the speed at which we move, yin, getting more into a yin, slowed down, cool, heavy kind of practice is so soothing and needed. Like, I, I mean, yin has become so popular. Mm. Um, so if you've never tried a yin yoga class, go try it out uh, and notice how, how you feel during and after. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting, you know, what you said about thresholds, because sometimes you are in a posture, in an asana, where you literally are like, I just want to kill everyone. Mm-hmm. I want to kill everyone that <laughs> never existed. I hate the world. And then you take a couple of deep breaths and you're like, I'm actually okay right now. Yeah. And then you take a couple more deep breaths and you're like, nope, nope, still want to kill the world. Hate everyone. Let's behead them all. Then you take a couple more deep breaths and you're like, oh, that left my body. Um, So it's really interesting, the emotional aspect of it that comes up as well um, and how that has been really, you know, one of those things that I think for me in terms of coming to your classes have seen, you know, from a more physical than to yin and to women's work. So getting more and more into um, the body, not just from a more athletic practice, but from this intuitive, um, stressed response, um, softer, quieter side, mm-hmm. which has been really beautiful. Um, so I want to just real quick pivot and I want to talk a little bit about the fact that you are a lady business owner. Mm-hmm. Boom. 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 And you have a shop in Ubud called Kula. And yep. you opened a second one called Kula, which I like to call Kula Tula. And actually, now we only have one. Okay. So one closed. Okay. So we have one amazing witchy it's boutique. It's beautiful. Yeah. It's super amazing. And I want to ask you, what was the inspiration for Kula? Um, the name means community. Is community that right? of the heart. Yep. Community of the heart. And that is in 
Sans- Sanskrit. Sanskrit. Cool. Yeah. Guess that one. <laughs> and um, so what was the inspiration for that? Um, and there's a lot of books in your shop, so I want you to talk a little bit about the unavailability. <laughs> yeah. So, so um, I opened Kula Boutique uh, because of all the work that I was doing with women, really. It, I realized, oh my God, there's so many books that I have, and I want women to be able to read them, and it's really hard to get literature here in Bali, especially particular types of literature. It can be a little bit edgy for Indonesian customs. Yeah. Um, so I opened up a boutique to be like a library for for different spiritual sexual um you know physiological subjects um and then of course added a lot more magic into the shop so we have all kinds of different card like oracle cards and we have stones and pendulums and a lot of um a lot of things for people to tap into their intuition which is what really excites me. Um, and yeah, so that's been going for a while. So I have Kula Boutique. Mm-hmm. We had two, and now we consolidated to one because owning two, in, mm-hmm. and as well as my yoga school, was getting to be a lot. So mm-hmm. we have one shop, and I have my yoga school as a business owner. Amazing. Yeah. And as a woman business owner, have you found that like there's a little bit of a difference or you have to approach things differently? Or you know, how has that empowered you um i i think it's only recently i've started to really consider what it's what it's like as a woman as a business owner Mm -hmm. i think i was just going for it you know just feeling really i've felt supported Mm -hmm. i've felt like i can do anything this whole time i've just taken such big financial risks and and also um, what's, what, what can I say? Like, um, emotional risks too. Mm. Uh, well, taking a big financial risk is emotional, right? Cause you're it, putting yes. it all on the line and then you have to energetically back it up. You have to show up. You've got to right? show up. You've got to show up and it's hard. Mm-hmm. Right. And once for a lot of people, once you pay the money, you're like, can't that be it? Nope. Sorry. Still got to get there every day. Still got to have amazing energy. Right. Still got to do the work. Right. And, and also, you know, so the, the courses that I hold are, they're a huge overhead because I bring in a really, um, highly qualified international faculty and fly them in and house them and pay their teaching fees. And, but, you know, having the confidence to ask them in the first place to come and teach on my training. Wow. That was huge. And still is this really huge, um, feeling of oh, will they say yes or no to come and teach on my training right you know, that's training a big part of it too it? as a business yeah. owner getting over the, the ask. getting over the ask and having the self-confidence and self-respect mm. to just take these big risks so it's been such a beautiful like beautiful and challenging journey having having my own business it's been incredibly successful wow, you know, like anyone out there who has their own business, you put your heart and your soul into it and everything else comes under it or after it. Yeah, (laughs) absolutely. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Well, we're going to take a short break and then we're going to come back and get some tips from Em. Yeah. (laughs) 
I wanted to talk to you guys a little bit about Camp Clarity and give you some details. It's pretty much the most awesome week in Bali. Adventures, water temples, cooking classes with amazing workshops and deep work for women to get the resources, tools, community, and support to move forward in our lives the way that we want. Sharing and really all leveling up. So it's a pretty awesome experience. If you feel called to come, check it out at www.joincampclarity.com. That's join, J-O-I-N-C-A-M-P, Clarity, C-L-A-R-I-T-Y.com if you feel like it's something for you. So all the details are there and it's just an awesome week for women in Bali. All right, little humans, we are back with Emily Cuser. Hello again, Em. Hi. So before the break, we were talking about your journey from yoga, yoga to yin yoga to women's self care, um, and how you've started. Do- you've started doing trainings around that. So you still run your high vibe yoga school, mm-hmm. which is amazing. It's a twenty eight day immersion. Do you get like a certificate? Yep, you get a certificate at the end of that. Cool, and that's a two hundred hour. Two hundred hour training. Yeah. Is it yoga alliance? It's yoga alliance, and then through my own school, and covers all the modalities of yoga with, of course, a very radical, rebellious, edgy. <laughs> <laughs> We're all rebels here. And then um, and then you also run, you've started doing women's self-care training. So I want you yep. to tell me a little bit about what that is and what they look like and when's the next one? Well, it looks like me saying to a lot of women, just show up. Just show <laughs> See up. See what happens. The reviews on my website for the, the you know, the, the women that have attended to the course are you know really really beautiful reviews so if anybody's curious about that they can go on there and check those out but it's it's a big experience of really going through some powerful breathwork sessions in within a group of women with incredible music and if for anyone out there who hasn't experienced connected breathwork that can be a life-changing experience for sure very very um, spiritual very very embodied very much possible to move through some big stuff mm. with the breath work in support of other women and and with me in the space too um then usually we do pelvic care so mm-hmm. learning pelvic care which includes practices with the jade egg so for those of you that don't know what jade egg is that requires some googling google and so i do an initiation process into the jade egg which uh is uh, feel so honored every single time I get to to do that and a lot of women know what jade eggs are these days and are using them um, yeah so. I think it's definitely it's a tool to strengthen your abdominal floor to strengthen a lot of the muscles that or even just gain awareness to a lot of the muscles that are feminine mm-hmm. inside your body so for those of you guys at home jade eggs go inside (laughs) (laughs) they go into the vaginal canal and what's so cool about the jade eggs is it starts to resensitize the almost the fat like the fascia that we were talking about it's it's very similar it's kind of bringing more sensitivity more awareness to these areas that are connected to a lot of nerves that go all the way up to the brain and when that starts to happen a woman's brain changes and she has much more access to her intuition because of these areas getting much more um, 
sensitized and then when she starts to have control over different areas it's so cool and I love guiding women through those practices um with or without an egg inserted it yeah both and it's possible to do both so that's part of the self-care training um pelvic care and something called womb yoga so it's the movements of yoga that are based around the womb space so I guide women through those practices um and then the middle of the day always has education on women's spirituality sexuality and psychology with some really great exercises yeah that's around a lot of like trauma Mm -hmm. and discharging shock from the nervous system is a big part of that Uh, learning about the felt sense learning something called the triune brain three parts of the brain that I really like uh, women to know about because it helps women to understand what's actually happening in these practices and how to get real deep and lasting healing in the body if needed. How to yoga hack your brain, right? <laughs> <laughs> if you're going to hack your brain, that's probably a good mm-hmm. way to do it. Um, and how, I think there are three, five days, three days? Five, well, I'm doing different durations. So I have a three-day course, I have a five-day course, and I have an eight-day course right now. And uh, what I'm really, really like, ooh, have my fingers tapping ooh, together right fingers. now. Yeah, I'm creating a month-long program for women that will be um, available in 2019 with a lot of witchy goodness and collaboration going on with some of the leaders in this field. So that's something I'm working on right now. Amazing. Mm-hmm. Amazing. And people can find out all your stuff on your website. We'll have it in the show notes. Mm-hmm. I think it's highvibeyoga.com. Highvibeyoga.com. Yep. Amazing. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> all right, little humans. All right, little humans, here's today's toast poem. It's called We Don't Lose Love. We don't lose love with distance. Time zones, calls, gestures, all mere priorities. Oh, we lose people to choice, fate, death, karma lived. There are bigger things than fear. Choice, expression, actualization, purpose, sound, freedom, connection. You wanted to join us, reach the end of what you knew, and turned around for home. All right, little humans, I hope you enjoyed today's show. Big thanks to Emily Cuser for coming on. I hope you enjoyed today's toast poem. As usual, if you're liking the show, subscribe, write us a review. You can find the show in Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, SoundCloud, or wherever you get your podcasts from. If you're feeling like coming to Bali, come for Camp Clarity. Check out our website with all the upcoming dates at Join Camp Clarity. That's J O I N. C-A-M-P-C-L-A-R-I-T-Y dot com. And until next time, humans, stay wild. So we keep on keeping on.